Welcome back to Fintech Business Podcast. It might be hard to remember now, but there was a time when BNPL, buy now, pay later, felt like a novel product, even if in one form or another, it's been around for decades. In fact, it was one of the first topics I wrote about when starting this newsletter all the way back in November 2020, exploring the history of merchant-delivered financing and some of the business model differences between pay-in-for, or split pay, and longer-term point-of-sale financing. So I'm delighted to have the perfect guest to talk about BNPL, but also much, much more than that. David Sykes previously served as the head of Klarna's U.S. business, uh, which is now the company's largest source of revenue, if I'm not mistaken, uh, before becoming the group's chief commercial officer. David, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to kick it off with the tough questions. That term, BNPL, how do you feel about it? Is Klarna a BNPL company? Oh, look, firstly, uh, Jason, thank you so much for, for having me uh, on the podcast. And look, it, it's funny, right? Like I, uh, when I first came to New York, this is probably six, six and a half years ago, I actually launched a uh, buy now, pay later company with a couple of other, a couple of other guys. It was, it was a proper startup uh, back then, you know, uh, it was, it was a very nascent industry. We're talking like, you know, 2017, 2018. This was, this was before my time with Klarna. And it was pretty interesting, right? I remember we launched, we were very fortunate to launch with a really large um, uh, global retailer uh, in the US. And overnight, as a company that had no brand awareness, probably 20 staff, we began processing 20% of all of that retailer's sales, 20% overnight. I think we were larger than PayPal. Um, and we were a startup. And the reason why I, I, I just reflect on that is, um, Buy now, pay later. We need to remember is an incredibly popular product. It serves a uh, a need for a whole heap of consumers, particularly younger consumers, who've just sort of gone away from traditional credit. Credit cards aren't attractive to them. You know, you look at markets like the US. You have a huge number of younger consumers who don't have credit cards, and the reality is, debit cards weren't meant for the online environment. They just, you know, they weren't designed to be used as, you know, um, uh, uh, payment devices online, right? So. I'm I'm always very conscious that buy now pay later is what you know made Klarna the company we are today. It is what made Klarna the company we are today. It is an incredibly attractive feature for you know the, the 150 million customers who use us. Now, having said that, it is just a feature. Buy now pay later is a feature. Dividing something into four is not a technically challenging thing to do. It is just a feature, right? And so um, it is a, a very very important part of our business. It has been, you know, the most important part of our history. But when we think about our future, you know, we do view it through that lens of it just being a feature. And so, you know, um, I don't mind if people label us a buy now, pay later company personally, because I still think it's a fantastic product and a really important part of our history. But I think when we think about the future, it really is, you know, how do we, you know, what we describe sit at the intersection of shopping and banking and payments and really make all of those uh, activities easier for for, for, uh, for a customer. So it's a big part of our past. It's going to be a part of our future. But I think, you know, when we think about the, the new products um, uh, that, you, you know, look at the last you know year of new product launches, right, it's much more about shopping uh, as an example. Well, and, and I mean, I would love to hear a little bit more about some of those features. I mean, I... Um... I'll ad <laughs> I'll admit as a I guess I'm a, a geriatric millennial or an older millennial and and also uh, American. So I mean I have you know I have my credit cards. I love my rewards points. Uh, and then also as we we're talking about before the call, I I live in the Netherlands, which is 
uh, historically, like a fairly credit averse society, you don't see a lot of borrowing, both for sort of like cultural reasons, and also like economic regulatory reasons. But I'm wondering, you know, describing Klarna as a buy now, pay later company, you know, are there pieces about the business model and the economics that 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 misses, right? So you you just sort of said, you know, describing it as a a shopping, you know, a shopping app or a shopping destination. How how does that impact you know where the company makes money? How does it impact the economics yeah. of the business? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think and, and I think it is important to call out right. Like even though we often get put in the buy now pay later box, you know, uh, call it a third of all of our transactions are pay now. You know what I mean? Like the this is a cu- uh, customer using us in the exact same way that they might use a PayPal or a debit product uh, as an example, right? So, um, uh, I think when we think about the future, though, right, like. It is things like marketing services that we get really excited about. You know, since we've launched our marketing services business a couple of years ago, you know, that's up just under 300%, right, in, in two years. So we think there's this, you know, fantastic opportunity to uh, personalize the shopping experience for a customer, to help a customer um, access, you know, a broader range of financial services than just, um, you know, um, short-term interest-free credit, as an example. So, like, I, I, it is that best way of describing it. It is a feature it's a really popular feature for sure but um i i often think it's one of the first ways that a customer learns about client and then it's like okay you've used you've used our pain three product you've used our interest free pain four product uh, on a, a nike or an adidas or a sephora and then it's that process of introducing them to all of the other value adds whether it's the ability to wish list an item the ability to search for the best price the ability to register for a price drop notification all of these things that enhance the shopping experience and that's usually the journey of a customer and the reason why that's so important from a you know unit economic perspective is the deeper that relationship becomes the more we get to know about the consumer the more they use our products the more valuable that customer is to us as a business and i hope the more valuable we can be to them because we know more about their preferences, we know more about their their, their personal styles. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty good uh, um, uh, relationship where they use us more, and the value we provide, I hope, uh, increases proportionally. No, and that makes sense. I mean, I you know I always have to to stop and pause and remember that like my behavior and my preferences, uh, I should not try to. Should not try to yeah, generalize exactly, yeah. those because they're you know not representative of, of you know what most people, particularly in different generations or different you know socioeconomic uh, strata, you know might prefer. Uh, and what you're describing, you know, reminds me of how you know Amazon is functionally like the second or third most popular search engine where people go there to start yeah, a shopping exactly. journey yeah, exactly. instead of going to instead of going to Google or somewhere else. Yep, and I mean. Again, I'm not like a very good shop. I'm not a very good shopper or consumer, but yeah. I could uh, I could imagine it's like okay, if there are certain kinds of brands or products, particularly in, uh, call it like the clothing fashion space, for example, I could imagine Klarna having a much stronger presence, particularly yeah. given the sort of mobile first nature, right? The app distribution. Yeah, sure. I mean, I uh, again revealing my age, but it's like when I look for something on Amazon, I'm like. Ooh, what masochist designed the the search like, <laughs> exactly. like the search and filtering feature on here because yeah. I feel like it's impossible to find what I want. So I mean, it, it does make sense that it's like okay, you know, the financing, the split pay can be a you know a wedge feature, it, and it is a feature. But you know, 
are people opening up Klarna when they're starting that shopping journey instead of opening up Google? Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think the answer is yes, right? Like, and, and just on your early point, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a credit card rewards uh, user as well, right? Like, well, you, um, live in, you live in New York now. You got to get your points. Exactly. <laughs> you got it right. But like, you know, it's funny, you know, it is I, one of the things, and look, I won't dive into it now, but like one of the things I think we, we as, a, as a society just gloss, gloss over is this um, status quo bias when it comes to credit cards, right? Like if you're earning your points and upgrading to business class, you know, there's nothing but upside for, for, for credit cards. Um, the reality is, though, 60% of customers in the US are carrying that balance month to month. You have this incredible, like, just this wealth transfer from lower income uh, uh, customers to higher income customers. Uh, it, it, it is not like we, we take it for granted because it's an entrenched part of our society. I'm not certain. Holistically, it's a good part, just to be clear. And that's why I get really excited about having a viable alternative for younger consumers, right? Um, and then um, on the shopping journey piece, like, you know, uh, absolutely like it is interesting like if you look at our app today uh in the us which is like you know uh, one of the features i think we're most proud of or one of the products we're most proud of right um about 25 percent of customers using the app aren't using it aren't accessing your credit product you know what i mean they're using it to uh discover new products they're using it to wish list items they're using it to search and compare um and you know the inspiration for, for a lot of this is actually what we see with you know a lot of the, sh the, the chinese shopping apps and I think what's the really, you know, powerful evolution of the Chinese shopping apps is, you know, 10 years ago, you would go to those apps and you would uh, input the product you wanted. 80% of it was um, search driven. 80% of it was search driven. You were, you were entering the product that you wanted and it was popping up, similar to how you probably use Google today. Fast forward 10 years, 80% uh, of it's um, recommendation driven. So you're going there and you're discovering new products. Uh, and I think that's what we get really excited about, this idea of, you know, there being a, a shopping destination where uh, we know you so well that, you know, we can start to recommend products to you that are relevant, that are interesting, uh, and, and, and certainly that are compelling, right? And that would be a change because if you look at like most of, like why has, um, why has shopping and e-commerce not worked on any social media platform yet? You know, nobody has cracked it. They have these huge audiences, uh, huge engagement levels, but nobody's cracked it, right? And it, I think it, part of it is it's not contextually relevant. You know, you are not necessarily on an Instagram shopping. You may be, but it's unlikely. You're more likely to be there seeing what your friends have done, following your favorite influences, whatever it is. We think there is this big opportunity to build a contextually relevant shopping experience, similar to what, you know, some 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 companies in, um, uh, in China have done really, really successfully. But we've just never seen anybody nail that uh, in the West. You, you, you've hit on uh, one of my, my favorite topics, which is the... Um, you know, rewards, points, specifically on credit cards, uh, functioning as a transfer of wealth. I mean, it's interesting. I wrote maybe a couple months back um, about some academic analysis that that said exactly that. And it was basically for uh, customers below, there was like 740 FICO or 780 FICO. Mm -hmm. um, functionally, you know, it was an economic net negative, even with whether it was cashback yeah. or miles or whatever, uh, because even in cases where they were, all, you know, paying their entire bill um, on time, the points were inducing them to overspend. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, and there's there's you know a wealth of sort of academic research that that bears 100%. this out around like okay, if you're paying something with cash, it's you know physical cash, which I know 
you know, who uses that anymore? Even yeah. in New York, uh, last couple of yeah. times I visited, I could could use my card everywhere. Um, you know, if you're handing over physical cash, it's painful. You know, it's higher friction. Maybe you think twice about it. One Debit minute, is yeah. easier. You know, credit allows you to sort of disaggregate the pleasure of purchasing and the pain of making that payment, you know, 20, 30, 40 days later. Um, I do want to ask you some questions about some of the, you know, the recent performance, fundraise, et cetera. You know, the media loves a narrative, and I, I don't know if I'm officially part of the media. I, I try not to sort of buy into the hype cycles. Um, but during sort of the height of the pandemic, you know, you guys raised a huge round uh, led by SoftBank, valued the company at $46 billion, most valuable startup in Europe. Um, you know, obviously, where we are now in 2023 looks a lot different for a lot of reasons, you know, obvious one being interest rate. Uh, interest rate environment has changed. Uh, that has impacted the VC environment, valuations of growth companies, private and public. You know, yep. not certainly not specific. You know, to Klarna. Um, you know, I tend to think of this as like a rationalization of the valuations. You know, across the board, um, Klarna is relatively unique in the sense that it's been around significantly longer than a lot of other, you know, fintech companies, uh, 18 years ish by my calculations and was previously profitable. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what the last couple of years have been like? Yeah, look, it's, it's been a roller coaster, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to lie. A fun one, I hope. <laughs> fun one for anybody in the, for anybody in the sector, it's been, you know, it's been an interesting ride. Look, I think, I think what happened is, you know, is exactly what you articulate, articulated, right? You know, interest rates were close to zero, cash was, you know, effectively free, um, and investors were prioritizing growth. And, uh, those high valuations actually, um, uh, enabled Klarna to raise, you know, quite a lot of capital in a very non dilutive fashion. That really put us in the position that we are in today. Like you know, America or the United States is is only our largest market by revenue because of the investment that we were able to make over the last two years. Um, and so when I when I look back on those investments, like you know, by and large we always made the right decisions. You know, on aggregate, you know, the the, the investments we we made propelled us uh, to to being the company we are today, and to you know situations where like you know we start to see you know positive margins in markets like the United States, right? Um, and I think the the big change is just a change of focus. You know, um, two years ago, growth was the priority and future cash flows, whereas now it's you know now it's a profitability, right? And I, I think the great thing about Klarna was the almost like the underlying work that had been done for you know. 15, 16 years before the real real growth phase just put us in a great position. Like the underlying business was extremely healthy. It wasn't one of these speculative, uh, fueled by venture um, uh, business models. The, the underlying business was great. We were just investing a lot for growth. We were just investing a lot for growth. And you can see that in you know our latest results, right? So basically the moment we um, pivoted from uh, a, a growth, a solely growth mindset to uh, a mindset that was balanced on both, you know, maintaining growth, which you can see, but also, you know, uh, getting back to profitability. You know, we were actually able to, you know, course correct pretty fast. You know, you know, I think you'll see us on a uh, on a on a month basis. You know, hit profitability this year, uh, just on what the trajectory that that we're up. You know, we were able to halve losses. Uh, you see things like, um, you know, our credit losses are down thirty five percent, you know, year on year, but we're growing, and I think that's really exciting. Like for most of the other players in the sector, you know, one of two things has happened. If they're racing back to profitability, um, they're doing it at 
the expense of growth. You know, they've just pulled the handbrake up. In many instances, you see GMV declining, you see customer numbers declining, right? Um, I think the fact that we're on track to hit, you know, hit our goals of, you know, being, you know, net, net, net this year, while still growing fairly healthily, I think is a, I think is a, a not, not, not just a, an indicator of the hard work everybody's done. I think it's an indicator of the, the fundamentals of the underlying business. And that is why we were profitable for, you know, for, for a decade before, you know, the real growth phase. Growth I, I was actually uh, joined 11FS's podcast recently, and we were talking about the reduction in, in losses. And, and I mean, the point I made, which I think is very consistent with what you just described, is like, okay, if I had to imagine, you know, the whatever, the Klarna boardroom strategy session, uh, you know, in 2020, 2021, if SoftBank is showing up saying we want to lead this huge round, to your point, you know, with little dilution because the valuation is very high. And, you know, your competitors in this space are taking these big checks to grow. Why why would you say no, right? Like you have you have to say yes, even if, you know, yeah, you know, arguably that set up, you know, this sort of media narrative of like, oh, you know, their valuation was X and now it's Y. But if you think about the circumstances at the time, like at least externally with the you know limited information I have, it's like, well, what would have happened if they had said no? not launched in the US because they didn't have the capital, etc. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, you can, I'll, I'll use a very American uh, sports phrase, you can Monday morning quarterback this all you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, I don't even I don't even watch football, um, American <laughs> football. Uh, it's like, you know, but at the time, like with the with the fact pattern and the information available, like, what was what was the other decision? And how would that have played out? Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I think of, of, you know all the the companies in the space. I think Klarna's story is is in a way the most interesting for for a lot of reasons. You know some of which we've touched on. I mean, speaking of the U.S. in sort of the rapid growth and traction you've gotten in that market, and, and before your current role, you were head of the U.S. So so you should know very uh, specifically. Um, you know, I'm curious to hear a little bit about the strategy that got you where you are. You know, it, it's many consumer fintechs have tried and failed to gain significant traction in the US. And I'm thinking more on like the neo-banking space, your Monzo, yeah. Revolut, et cetera, and 26. You know, use I mean different product obviously, but like you seem yeah. to have succeeded where a lot of other foreign uh entrants have have I would say failed. Can you tell me a little bit about the strategy that helped you get there? Sure. And I, I'm also curious to hear if there's any like particular nuances to the US market versus the other markets that you operate in? Yeah. Look, I, I think we, we built the strategy on, on three things, right? You know, the brand we were building, um, uh, you know, the, the partners we uh, we went live with and, you know, obviously just the product, right? And I think the, the thing that is overlooked often is the brand. You know, if you think about our industry, right, like it is a heavily commoditized, a very transactional industry. You know, what's the difference between, you know, uh, a, a cup of black coffee uh, and, uh, and a Starbucks coffee, right? It's the brand. Like brand really, really matters. And we worked incredibly hard to build a really differentiated brand. You know, every bank in the, in the world is blue. They're all blue because blue is the color of trust. You know, we, we very consciously decided to look and feel very different and to try and build this engagement with, it, with a younger, younger audience, right? And I can't tell you enough, like that, that, that brand... Um, positioning really resonated. And so I think that was a big, big part of it, building this brand, because just as it's like a very transactional industry, right? Like 
most banks have customers. They don't have fans. And I really think we were able to build a fan base. And that was really important because that then transitioned into, you know, how we won partners, right? Like when we went to the Nikes of the world, the Sephora's of the world, the Macy's of the world, it wasn't just as a paying for buy now, pay later company. It was as a company that could help connect those large retailers with a really engaged audience, you know, a really passionate audience. And I think that that was the first pivot into Klarna as a, you know, marketing services company. This idea of 150 million consumers on the one hand, 500,000 retailers on the other, how do we put those audiences in touch in a really, you know, meaningful way? And then the last thing was on the product, right? Like, you know, there has never been a month I've been at Klarna uh, where we haven't thought about what's next. You know what I mean? Like we had this incredibly successful, like you said, buy now, pay later and pay now payments business. You know, that was a really, really successful uh, um, business. Um, we could have just sat and you see a lot of industry, a lot of companies sit uh, on, on that type of success. Or you saw a lot of companies go into adjacent things like let's trade crypto or let's trade stocks <laughs> or whatever it might be. And I think we made some really bold decisions, you know, driven by Sebastian and, you know, the, the rest of the, the, the leadership team to aggressively pursue different product innovations. Um, so I think it was that those three things, right? We looked, we really did look different. Uh, we had this really engaged uh, audience, which made it, you know, really powerful when we went to our partners and, and we just had an interesting product. And the, the cool thing is like when you launch with a Nike, when you launch with a Macy's, when you launch with Sephora, like, you know, uh, these fantastic partnerships just propel your growth. Because all of a sudden you start getting such a you know significant share of checkout, that becomes your new customer acquisition channel, uh, and it becomes this really great you know self fulfilling cycle. It's interesting that you mentioned the branding. I mean, it definitely stands out, right? I mean, as a uh, fin fintech junkie, I have probably dozens of apps on my phone, and you're like scrolling through, and it's like yes, shades of shades of blue, darker blue maybe. Um, so yes, yeah, certainly the the branding uh is definitely differentiated um you know speaking of products you know you recently launched the Klarna card in the US i think about a year ago which lets users split any purchase into four zero interest payments it does if i understand correctly carry a $4.99 per month fee I'm curious to hear what kind of reception that product has gotten, particularly given sort of the fee structure. I mean, my impression of American consumers is that they have been highly trained to expect certain kinds of financial products to be free, free in quotation marks, right? Your, your checking account can be free, but then if you have various fees that you get hit with, et cetera, but like that upfront um, cost, I think, you know, U.S. consumers tend to be generally averse to how how has the rollout yeah. of the card in the U.S. gone so far? Yeah, look, I think I look the the, the card business is a really important part of our, our business, right? Like, uh, it started in uh, Sweden and Germany. We have about a million active uh, card users in no market. Uh, when we launched the, when, I think even when we announced the card business here in the U.S., I think you know pretty quickly we had a million. Um, consumers on the waiting list, right? Like, so uh, I think the big difference is, yes, there is a fee. We refer to it as almost as like a subscription, right? But we, we've got to remember, it's interest-free. It's an interest-free product, right? So um, I think the, the peace of mind that a customer gets knowing that there's not going to be that, you know, in some instances, 36% APR that's attached to a you know, a traditional credit card. I think that's really, really powerful. And I think you do have like a, a, a growing, um, um, almost like 
community acceptance of subscription-like models, right? So we think about it as a subscription. You know, what I would say, uh, and this was a part of like when we launched our in-app shopping browser, right? The, the most common um, feedback we had from customers when we launched in uh, the US, but usually when we launched in any market is, why can't I use you everywhere? Where else can I use you? Like, um, you know, if you have a scenario where a lot of our customers, you know, if they see Klarna, they will shop with Klarna on any website. It's like, you know, it's one click, it's safe, it's they have all their digital receipts. There's a whole heap of reasons why customers click Klarna. It is a strange user experience then that, you know, you walk into a physical retail store and shop with Klarna. And so I think that, you know, ability to bridge the divide between online where we're, you know, now fairly well available to, um, uh, to in-store has been really, really powerful. And look, these are our best customers. They're our most loyal customers. They're a cohort of consumers who, by and large, have very consciously opted out from the traditional um, credit card model. And, you know, like, I think that the, if, you, if you've got a, an Amex Platinum, right, credit cards seem pretty cool, right? Like, I always remember my story as an Australian coming to the US six years ago. Like, nobody offered me a, 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 a Platinum anything. I had to go and get a Bank of America credit card where I had to give Bank of America $300 for that to be the limit on my card. No points, you know, it, so it's not for a lot of customers. It's not like they're trying to choose between the Chase Sapphire or the Klarna card, right? This is a, you know, really um, predictable, responsible uh, card that lets them use this, you know, feature they love online everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I think it's going to be a really big part of our, our future. Yeah, when, when I moved to London, uh, I couldn't even get like a postpay cell phone uh, I was like, exactly. really? Like, <laughs> exactly. I, I can, exactly. I can show, I can show you my letter, my employment letter. Yeah. Like, I promise it's you, so I make. Funny. <laughs> but it's crazy. You know, that's, um, you know, twenty 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 three, and these are still problems. I mean, <laughs> exactly. the 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 using the trend that the transition from e com online to bricks and mortar. You know, Klarna isn't the only comp, you know company in this sort of BNPL space yeah. trying to navigate that. Um, Specifically, you know, I'm thinking of Apple, which began rolling out its Apple Pay Later feature. Although I still don't know anyone who actually has it available to them, I'm, I'm dying to see yes, it in I... practice. Um, you know, its business model and the UX are somewhat distinct from offerings like Klarna, uh, yep. but it appears at least to be targeting sort of a similar customer, similar use case with. Yep. You know, I would argue the somewhat unfair advantage that Apple controls the hardware and <laughs> Apple. Helps, right? uh, you know, I, I I'm talking to you right now on my MacBook. Yeah. I have an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. you know, I buy Apple products. I think from a from a competition standpoint, the fact that Apple controls the OS and controls the hardware gives them essentially an unfair advantage. But you know, setting setting that aside for right <laughs> now, you know, how, how are you thinking about the potential competitive threat from from Apple? Yeah, look, I, I, I think about this as an Apple user and as a person who loves Apple. And, you know, I, I think they're going to do a fantastic job. Like, you know, Apple has a history of maybe being a little late to the party sometimes, but executing unbelievably. And I suspect they'll do the, do the same thing here, right? Um, I, I can honestly say, you know, with, you know, hand on my heart, you know, we don't view this as some huge competitive threat. Like, uh, if anything, we see it as a, a really, you know, strong validation of the model. Um, you know, when you think about, like, most of the criticism that comes our way around, you know, again, that buy now, pay later tag, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the world thinking here is Apple developing a product that they think is going to be predatory on consumers. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just not that type of company. Like, so I think we we, we see it as a tremendous validation. Um, when you think about the growth that happens in almost every market around the world, like a big part of it is just an awareness 
factor that comes from um, uh, uh, more consumers using using these features, right? Like, I, I honestly think this is going to be a, a, a something that lifts all boats. Um, and there are just like you know, there are just a lot of limitations, right? Like, if you go online and you're using a Google Chrome browser, well, you're not going to see Apple Pay as an option, right? Uh, if you're using a Samsung uh, mobile device, you're not going to see Apple Pay uh, as an option. So, like, don't get me wrong. Like, they are a fantastic company. They have built a, you know, best product in the world, you could argue. Um, I think this is going to propel the growth of our industry. Uh, and I think we'll be a net benefit of that um, because I just think it's going to raise awareness, right? So, you know, we, we, we think they'll do a great job. We welcome them to, you know, they're a little late, but we, we're really glad that, you know, joined the party. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to to some extent, you know, Apple may be underestimating the some of the complexity and risks, right? I mean, not this is not about the BMPL product, but recently um, there was a story about users of Apple savings who are having trouble getting their money out. Now, was that yeah. an Apple problem or a Goldman Sachs problem? Yeah, exactly. Probably a, probably a Goldman problem, but yeah. to a consumer who's accessing it on their device, who are they mad they at? The brain. Yeah, exactly. Who, who, who are they tweeting at? They're tweeting at uh, Tim Cook, not at David Sullivan. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> anyway, it'll no, be interesting. It, it is. An, it, look, it's not an easy, like when you're, when you're handling people's money, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's serious business, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Klarna success in the U.S. notwithstanding, there's definitely uncertainty on the horizon, right? I mean, regulators have been circling specifically around components of underwriting, uh, furnishing data back to the credit bureaus, things like payment dispute protections that you have on cards that they argue are not equivalent in BNPL. You know, despite some consolidation, there's still uh, a fiercely competitive environment. You have a firm, you have Afterpay, which is now part of Block. And, you know, I would argue, you know, macroeconomic risk is, is mounting, right? I mean, thankfully, the employment climate remains uh, strong so far, but, you know, with interest rates, which we've mentioned, you know, some of the bank failures, et cetera, yeah. it feels like a recession is going to happen, you know, eventually. You know, how are you navigating this ever-evolving environment? You know, are there other kinds of risks that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the reality, I hate saying it right, but like um, risk benefits larger businesses. Like that's just the truth, right? Like, you know, it is, it is good that we are at the scale that we are at today. You know, we, we can access, you know, capital uh, very cost effectively. Well, and, and you're a bank in the, in Europe. And we're, I was going to say we're a bank yeah. in Europe, right? Like, and so you know, when we think of, if I if I take them, you know, one at a time, like when, when I think about regulation, we're actually generally pretty supportive of regulation. The the key is is it regulation that protects the banks, or is it regulation that protects the consumer? If it's regulation that protects the consumer, we'll always be all in. Uh, often, what you find though is the the driving force behind the the regulation isn't about consumer protection; it's about um, industry protection, and so that's the that's the, 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 the like you know the defining factor for us, right? But if it's about consumer protection, you know we are a bank; we're heavily regulated. Uh, we uh, we've been through this you know a number of times in a number of different markets. You know when you look at the Australian regulation that just happened, you know, we're supportive of that type of regulation, right? Like we we think that's the right right um, decision to to protect consumers. Uh, and then when you just think about like the macro environment, like you know it, it could go could go a couple of ways, um, you know. If you think about what happens when um, when you get into these types of environment, like inflation is really just the erosion of you know your your your, your spending power, in particular your discretionary spending power, right? So on the one hand, you have high inflation, erosion of uh, discretionary um, spending power. 
some of the some of our products become really attractive in, in that environment, right? You know, couple that with traditional credit begins to retract. Traditional credit begins to retract, right? Um, so you know, we don't necessarily think this will be a you know uh, a, a, a total negative for us. We actually think you know uh, some consumers are going to use Klarna for the first time uh, because you know it's it's harder to get some of those you know uh, traditional credit products that we think maybe aren't as consumer friendly. Um, so look, we'll see how it plays out. But I think the the, the good thing is like the foundations of the business are really strong. Um, and like I said, it is it is a good time to be a you know um, a well established, well funded you know uh, a, a, you know uh, business on a, on a path to profitability. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think it's easy for consumer advocates, legislators, regulators, whoever, to pick a product category and say this is bad. Right? You can do it with overdrafts. You can do it with small dollar lending, payday loans. You can do it with credit cards. You could do it with BNPL. The the point I make, you know, when I when I speak to people in those kinds of audiences, is you know. It's like squeezing on a balloon, right? You can say, oh, like BNPL is bad. It's it's encouraging people to get over-indebted. Like we're going to clamp down on it. You know, that reduces the supply of credit in that specific product. But, you know, particularly for consumers at the bottom end of the income spectrum, if, you know, if they're literally using some of these products to, to, to make ends meet, they're going to go and find another way to borrow to do, to do what they need to do. Yeah, exactly. So the lens... I would argue is the better one to apply is, is this product, is using this mechanism to finance better than going to get a payday loan or a pawn loan or an overdraft? Like, yeah, it is. And then to, to sort of navigating the, the macro um, climate point, I think the huge benefit of a product like Klarna, like from the company's standpoint, is it's a very short repayment cycle, right? So you have the ability to learn and modify your credit policy uh, a lot more quickly than credit cards, which based on my experience in that in that sector, can easily take sort of six to nine months to understand how your customers are performing. Of course. So it's like if you if you extend if you extend credit uh, to somebody and they, you know, for 50 bucks, 80 bucks, and they don't pay you back. Then you just don't extend them credit again. Exactly. Like if you look at the fundamentals of the of the risk, right? Um, you know, our um, our losses as a percentage of GMV are literally like zero point three seven percent. You know, that is the envy of any credit card company on on, on the planet, right? Like our average uh, outstanding balance is a hundred dollars versus a credit card balance of you know several thousand dollars. Um, in all of our pay and installment models, we get either 33% of the payment up front or 25% of the payment up front. Uh, we revolve a dollar, to your point, you know, 12 to 14 times every year. Like we make a, a credit assessment on a transactional basis, not you got a $20,000 credit card limit, you know, uh, you have it for life, right? There are all of these different factors. But the thing that I think is most important and people, you know, over, overlook it, it is because our business model does not reward risk and failure. Uh, in a credit card model, you want people to revolve. Every economic incentive is having customers not pay you back. That's why they send you, this is the minimum amount that you have to pay back. It is the very definition of risk-based pricing is a bunch of these customers aren't going to pay us back, but the rest are going to pay us so much interest that it's going to net out. On an interest-free model, every time someone doesn't pay you back, you lose. 
And so the fundamental economic incentives for our model are about responsible lending versus, you know, uh, let's encourage people to overspend. Let's encourage people to take a little bit too much risk, knowing that some of them are going to fall off, fall off the back of that in a in a really negative way. It's just a very different way of thinking about risk. Well, in I mean, revolving credit is great for people who are able to pay their balance in full yeah, exactly, because exactly. It, it is it is a interest free loan for whatever twenty thirty days, you know, depending on where in the cycle you are. For again, particularly the lowest income consumers. And this is the segment that that I have worked in. The tendency is that they max out that limit, and it tends to be you know relatively low, three hundred, five hundred, a thousand dollars. They max it out. They get that statement saying you you know minimum payment is thirty five, fifty bucks. It's not an irrational decision if they're constrained financially to say, well, I need to pay my electric bill and rent yeah, and. Exactly you know, school fees. So I'm going to make the minimum payment. And eventually they're not getting any more utility out of that. That It's just a, a albatross that they're paying each on. month. Yeah, you know, they're, yeah. they're not getting any utility out of it. And eventually something happens and they're like, pardon my language, F it. I'm just not going to pay this. And then they default. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I see some of the benefits of, you know, this model where it's like, okay, you know, you're able to better calibrate the risk to to the company, but but also the risk to the consumer as far as indebtedness. I mean, I do want to get one more quick topic in. You know, you mentioned Australia, uh, which you're from. I think um, I usually am pretty good at placing accents. Um, you know, that country's been at the forefront of the explosion in BNPL. Um, also, you know, the government has been along with the UK, you know, at the forefront of sort of moving to regulate those products in that sector. Is there anything other countries can learn from what has unfolded and is unfolding in Australia, in the UK? Any policy approaches worth yeah. copying or avoiding? Oh, look, I, I actually think um, they got it pretty right in Australia, to be honest. Like I, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're supportive of um, where they landed uh, on a personal level. I think it was the right, uh, the right thing to do, right? Like, um, I, I think, I, you know, and I, I said it before, like the, the real difference is like when you have products like this that grow as fast as they do, you know, um, it's never in a bubble, right? It's usually, the fear is it's usually at the expense of someone else. And when I say that, I don't mean a consumer, I mean like in the industry sector. And you can see in market after market, um, uh, share of wallet, share of spend, moving to companies like Klarna. Um, usually the industries that are, you know, um, missing out on that spend, uh, you know, the, the the traditional banks, right? Whether it's their card products or you know whatever it is. So I think what 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 is a good outcome of uh, of how Australia approached it was it was really I think it had the the customer uh, at the forefront of their you know their decision making as opposed to geez how do we protect you know you know big big four banks that. Uh, um, uh, as an example, so look, we we welcome it. Like I said, I, I I beat up the bank sometimes. We are a bank, so you know, um, and you know we've gone through this evolution, you know, a couple of times now. Like what happens is these products start out small, they uh, they're very consumer centric, they grow really fast, uh, and before you know it, you know you, you've got a lot of attention, and the the natural you know follow on from that is, is regulation. You just want to make sure it's regulation that you know focuses on the consumer, not not, not not you know what I would describe as industry protection. Got it. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. David, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. 
For those who want to follow you or learn more about all the exciting things Klarna is doing, where can they find you? Uh, so look, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big Twitter user. I should. It's, a, it's boss, dead. It's dying. Don't, it's too my late. Boss, my boss, Sebastian, is a fantastic uh, Twitter user. So um, definitely follow uh, Klarna on Twitter. Definitely follow Sebastian Siemitakowski on Twitter. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, I am a, a religious LinkedIn user. I know that's really nerdy. Um, but otherwise, obviously, feel free to reach out by email as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, David. Jason, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Really good.